First Church Charlotte. Amen. Greetings to all of you, wherever you are watching us from. We are, of course, honored to have you join with us and share any of your evening, your Wednesday evening with us. Uh, let's quickly get into the word of the Lord and see if we cannot grow together in the understanding of it. I'm going to send you to my my Bible over here, uh, and you'll be able to see that. We are going to read uh, in Mark chapter number 14, and we're going to uh, start reading um, in chapter 14, verse number 22. I'm going to give you a moment to begin turning there if you have uh, your Bible open in your lap, and I would like to, uh, as much as possible, encourage you to do so. Uh, I think there is a something, at least for me, something uh, very uh, spiritually reassuring to have the word of the Lord uh, in my hands. Um, before we read together here in chapter number tw uh, 14 and verse 22, um, I want to let you all know that starting next Wednesday night, we will be starting um, ministry uh, structure that we will do for the rest of the year uh, that I'm calling Celebrate Freedom. Nathan. The purpose and the goal of celebrating freedom is to focus ourselves on emotional and spiritual healing, emotional and spiritual healing. Um, it's not enough for us to have an experience in the service. Uh, we really need to go beyond just the emotional and we need to experience spiritual healing and to become uh, wholly free. Uh, I feel like there's a problem somewhere and no one can hear me or something. Oh, I can hear you fine, brother. You Are you guys trying to tell me that no one can hear me? No, we got you. We hear I you can fine. hear. All right. I can hear you well. All right. We've got a lot of technology going here. And so the um, angle of the forgive me for the interruption. Uh, so we will see in this passage uh, together something very unique that you probably have read many times. And uh, we will look at it as well as we can. I'm being interrupted again. Mm. Yeah, okay, I'm aware of that. Um, so, all right, now after nefarious uh, interruptions, uh, let's, let's, uh, let's get going here. Um, did I finish the freedom? That's starting next Wednesday night. Let's, let's look here. We have been reviewing this passage together, and we have seen here where the disciples, not knowing what else to do, simply began to uh, make preparation for the Feast of the Passover. We read that. We look down at verse number 22, and we see where they are uh, celebrating the Lord's Supper together. You have all heard that read many, many times. Probably every time you've ever celebrated the Lord's Supper, uh, taking communion together with other believers, you have read that passage. Uh Verse 26, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. We get then to verse number 27. Then Jesus said to them, notice this, guys. Sorry for all the distractions. Let's bring our minds into focus here. Then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, turn the page. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. 
Peter said to him, even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Jesus said to him, now, before we read Jesus's response, let me just point out the astonishment of Peter disagreeing with the Lord. In fact, my title tonight is going to be disagreeing with Jesus. Peter said, even if all are made to stumble, stumble. Even if the angel Gabriel himself stumbles, yet I will not stumble. Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows thrice, you will deny me three times. But Peter spoke vehemently, if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said, likewise. They all said, likewise. And so, uh, here we are in this passage together, and we are uh, considering and reflecting upon all the things that are that are happening. And um, th- there is a there's a challenge to all of us uh, here because we are watching uh, Peter make a really big, embarrassing mistake, being recorded by all the generations that will follow, being recorded as taking it upon himself to correct the Lord, disagree with the Lord, and not just once, but multiple times, or at least twice, disagree with the Lord. Um, Thus, kind of being the first one through the gate and encouraging everyone else to also disagree with the Lord. They all say, no matter what happens, Lord, we will not, we will not in any way betray you. We will not in any way turn our back on you. Um, but they all do. What is it in there in that moment? Are they just trying to be loyal to Jesus as a friend would be loyal? Are they just trying to reassure this one whom they have followed, this one in whom they've invested three and a half years of their life, that they were serious all along, that they meant something, that they intended something? Um, or in some way, was this all along an error? Was it all along a mistake? Um, this is, of course, a challenge for all of us to wrestle with. And before we go any further, let me just point out to those of you in the Zoom room, um, you guys are on one camera and the stream is on another camera. So don't worry about it. Just try to listen and, 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 and follow along um, in the passage here. It takes an astonishing amount of vanity to be comfortable disagreeing with the Lord Jesus. Think about that for a moment. It takes an astonishing amount of vanity to disagree with Jesus, particularly when, uh, well, you not too long ago were on Mount Transfiguration and God himself told you to hush and quit offering ideas um, and be focused upon the ministry of Jesus Christ. But of course, uh, Peter is, is in many ways, an example of the impulsiveness of all of us. Because I think uh, all of us have, you know, an element of that in us. So it is with Thomas. All of us have an element of Thomas in us. And we usually will learn the best when we, when we accept that and we focus, we confess um, our propensity, our tendency, how the ease with which we go astray. 
When we do that, you might think of this as having some type of spiritual humility, an appropriate spiritual humility. I've taught a lot of Bible studies on vanity and pride. Uh, have you ever wondered what the difference in vanity of, and, and, and pride is? Um, this is how I like to think of it. Um, this isn't all-encompassing and totally complete, but I think it's a great way of wrapping our heads around the difference in vanity and pride. Pride is the deception whereby I lie to myself about who I think I am, or I lie to, to myself about my value. Um, vanity is when I use deception to try to convince others something about me. Um, I, that's how I like to think about it. Um, we all can deceive ourselves. We can pretend we're spiritual and we are, we're far from spiritual. We know how to, you know, dress up in our Sunday clothes. We know how to quote a scripture here and there. We know how to get the appropriate stern devotional expression on our face. Uh, but then the first time the cold wind blows through our life, we fall to pieces and you understand what I'm saying. It's, it's easy to talk tough, but then the storm comes and we have to live it out. Um, vanity is the deception we offer others. Pride is the deception we offer ourselves. Um, at least that's one way I like to think about the difference. It takes an astonishing amount of pride, vanity. I would say self-deception to be comfortable hearing this one who has raised the dead in front of you. This one who has appeared with, wait for it, <laughs> Moses and Elijah. I mean, what, what else? What do you do to follow that up? Um, this one who has spoke to the very weather systems in the heavens and the <laughs> hydrodynamics of the ocean and said, peace be still. Uh, how do you get comfortable saying, no, Lord, I'm no, I don't mean to be ugly, but I'm going to have to take the other side of that argument. I'm going to have to disagree with you, Lord. Uh, he <laughs> disagrees with the Lord. Um, this is an astonishing amount of self-deception. Uh, I want to, I want to talk about how all of us have a capacity for self-deception that is, uh, oftentimes downplayed by ourselves. Uh, it wouldn't be deception and it wouldn't be self-deception if the self wasn't influenced by it. You see what I'm saying? It's kind of like, yes, it is. Uh, it's a part of us. What if me being more effective in the kingdom of God was less about me influencing powers beyond me and more about me facing the spiritual truth about my needs, my faith, my prayer life, my righteousness, my passion, my worship habits, my prayer discipline. What if my ability to influence the kingdom of God, what if my ability to influence um, others who are following uh, in an example, perhaps, that my testimonies are leaving? What if, what if I had more control about facing that truth that would set me free about myself what if that had more influence than worrying about me being spiritually dynamic enough to get on a hit list from hell that's a good title for a message a hit list from hell um, what what if the battle is within i would suggest to you that for most of us most of the time the largest battles we fight is not against hell but against self 
Um, this is shown to us. I'm not going to take much time on this. I just want to touch it. But um, when Lucifer deceives Adam and Eve, primarily Eve, and then Adam goes along, the appeal is not, hey, worship me. Uh, the appeal is serve yourself. Let's see God as a common enemy. He's trying to keep us all down. You do what's good for you. And she, doing what's good for her, eats of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why isn't it, why isn't it called the tree of evil? We're going to talk about this a lot starting next week when we start our Celebrate Freedom module that we, or semester, however you want to see, that will be um, 10 to 12 weeks of teaching on the reality of the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil as spiritual teaching uh, images and how we can choose to live in the uh, tree of the knowledge of good and evil that brings death, or we can choose to live in the tree of life that is made available to us through Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about that a lot next week. Um, but I want you to see how uh, the deception for Eve is this invitation by Lucifer mm -hmm. to Eve, you ought to do what I do. And stop with focusing on divine worship and serve yourself. Stop elevating God, elevate yourself. You know, join my team. Choose to reign in hell rather than serve in heaven. Uh, this is, this is the invitation to Luciferian theology, which is not about warlocks and witches. That is all dramatic subterfuge. Because if you have the name of Jesus, you have power over every principality and power. I'm not saying there isn't spiritual uh, contest in the heavenlies. There is. But as far as your victory in the, the sphere of your choice, the name of Jesus changed everything for you. You resist the devil. And that's all it takes to get the devil to leave. But you have to crucify the flesh. You see, the battle, the battle is that Lucifer, Lucifer invitation. <laughs> Excuse me. Serve yourself. Don't serve God. All right. So now, if the challenge we face is the lies we tell ourselves, the pains we live with, the despair with which we view setbacks, if the real battle we must win is against self. Let me give you another, because this is threaded all through the word of God. It's not an accident that Jesus is crucified in the place of the skull, a, whole, a heel that looked like a skull, skull that they called Golgotha. That's not an example, uh, not an accident. It's not an accident that the apostle Paul talks about the battle in our minds. Do you see? Not an accident whatsoever. The battle is right here where we turn away from us judging everything, us having an opinion about everything, us telling God what he can do. Instead, surrendering to him, not my will, thy will, thy will, you know best, your way, not my way. And so here the Apostle Paul, excuse me, here the, the Apostle Peter um before he is celebrated as such and known here as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, here he is with such self-deception that he is comfortable having an argument 
with the Lord and disagreeing with the Lord. Now, okay, um, if we are going to look at this in the context of self-deception and our ability to deceive ourselves, and if we're going to agree that this self-battle, this narrative we live with, this um, the vanity, the fear, the desire, the competition, all that's in our head, if that is where most of the battle is, it would be more than a spiritual thing, right? It would also be something that was simply true about the human story, simply true about human nature. And I would say yes, yes, and yes. So um, I have sought to find an example from... Um, popular culture that would illustrate this in all for all of you. And I, I, I was, I was in my stumbling through my research. I, I stumbled across uh, some of the uh, memories and memoirs of the famous American playwright Tennessee Williams. Um, his most famous uh, play uh, that or script um, is that that movie. Um, uh, Marlon Brando is in it, um, um, and the actress Lee something, I can't remember her last name, um, the movie entitled A Streetcar Named Desire. Now, if what I'm talking about, that the enemy, this self-deception, this battle that happens in our mind, if it's more than just a spiritual consequence, it would be something that was true about humanity. It would be a human-sized problem, not just a Bible study lesson in a service. Let me read you a quote from uh, Tennessee Williams. Uh, this is his words, nobody sees anybody truly, but all through the flaws of their own egos. That is the way we all see each other in life. Vanity, fear, desire, competition, all such distortions within our own egos. These things, these distortions condition our vision of the people around us, the people that are in relation to us. Now, Tennessee Williams continues, add to those distortions that you have through vanity, fear, desire, and, and, and competition, add to those distortions, the corresponding distortions in the egos of the other people. And you see, how cloudy the glass must become through which we look at each other. That's how it is in all living relationships, except when there is that rare case of two people who love intensely enough to burn through all those layers of opacity and see each other's naked hearts. Uh, so here you have a playwright. He is telling stories that touch people's hearts. If they don't feel authentic, if they don't feel true, it doesn't touch people's hearts. Because to make people feel is the thing. That's the magic in music. The, the songs you love, it's because it touches your heart. It resonates with this authenticity within you, and you feel. That's the magic of a movie. If you don't like a movie, it didn't make you feel anything. That's the genius of a novel. If it didn't make you feel anything, you don't read any more of that guy's, that author's books. Do you see what I'm saying? It must resonate as a human-sized problem within you. So how, how does he make this live out among us? Here's his point. None of us see each other accurately because we can't see ourselves accurately. And because we don't see ourselves accurately, 
We look at other people through broken glass that we have in some way scotched, taped back together. Vanities, fears, egos, setbacks, dysfunctions, disappointments, sorrows, pains. It's a bloody mess. And I use that in the American sense, not in the English curse word sense. (laughs) They look at us through the same broken glass, like driving a car that's spent its life on dirt roads. And it's a spider web of distortion. So it is. We look at each other. Now, I could tell you this same truth biblically. I could say to you from Jeremiah, the heart is desperately wicked and who can know it? It's the same thing. It is a human-sized problem, and it speaks to us about a truth of our heart. All right, so remember this insight that this playwright slash philosopher, if you want to give him so grandiose a title, he's got to put it into a story that illustrates it so powerfully that the people who watch it are touched by it. So he comes up among his other playwrights he comes up with the uh plot of this movie award-winning movie famous part of americana um streetcar named desire where there are three people there's more than three but three major people none of them can see each other fairly or accurately they all are trapped in their lies they all are trapped in the narratives They tell themselves about, first of all, themselves, and the narratives they tell themselves about the other person. Three characters. One, uh, Blanche, she is a young, troubled, beautiful girl who has lost everything of her family estate. She fancies herself as somebody. She is a Southern belle, a Southern aristocrat. She knows how to act. She knows how to live. You get the idea. She is uppity. The man, played by Marlon Brando, uh, his Stanley, he's blue-collar, coarse, um, sees and resents everything about her. We're talking about a human-sized problem. He sees and resents everything about Blanche. But the problem is, is Blanche is just a fragile, broken thing. She's telling herself lies about herself, and she's telling the world lies about herself. And here... Stanley hates everything about her because of what she represents and cannot see the fragile person within. His wife, which who is Blanche's sister, so you have a sister from the South moved in with a couple. That's the whole thing. They're all trapped in a mutual web of lies that they, because of vanity, you see how this is going? Because of anger, because of flawed narratives, they can't see each other. They can only see what the people represent. And they cannot get beyond the brokenness of their own self to see the brokenness of the other person. And so the story spirals down and down where... You know, I'm, you could watch the movie yourself if you wanted to. I, I don't. I don't know that I've ever watched the whole thing, but I, I have. I know a good bit about it. Um, here you have this person who destroys another person. He's never seen her, not the real her. She can only see him as a threat. 
She can't tell and stop telling herself lies. He can't stop hating her because of what she re- represents. And Blanche's sister, Stella, caught between the two of them, can't make either of them happy. Okay. And so this story spirals down until it it, dest- it, it it essentially it destroys Blanche. And in many ways, it destroys the relationship between Stella and Stanley. It- and Stella's trapped. Stanley's filled with rage. And Blanche, she's in a mental health institute. Back to this reality, this human-sized problem. What are those? All of us live with the vanity of lying to ourselves. All of us are desperate to hold to that lie. All of us would rather disagree with Jesus than admit maybe we don't know everything there is to know about ourselves. Does that make sense? You see how it's all coming together now? Yeah. Have all this problem where God himself cannot know how it feels to be me. So our vanity says to us. And so you find Peter after the marriage, not the marriage supper, but the, 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 uh, Passover supper, excuse me. You see him having seen Mount Transfiguration, having seen Jesus with Moses, and he's disagreeing. In his mind, I'm not the kind of person that could ever deny you. The Lord says, you're going to deny me three times tonight. No, no, Lord. No, Lord. This is another example where you don't know, and I am right, and you are wrong. Think of the uh, uh, courage it takes to disagree with Jesus on the night where he has just told them all that there was a betrayer among them on the weekend where he has told them all he's going to be crucified within the same recent memory of Mount Transfiguration. You see how you see how this goes? So we arrive then at this 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 human problem of how desperately we hold on to our narratives, the stories we tell ourselves. Anything rather than to surrender to God and say, you know, Lord, what I am capable of. Can you give me strength? Can you help me overcome myself? Anything. Okay, now imagine this. If there's a tree of life in the garden, and there's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why do we call that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and not just the tree of evil? We'll talk about this more next week, but let me just bring up a point. The point of calling a tree the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil is this. I and I alone will decide what is good and what is evil. That's where I want to live. There is no surrender in me. There is no settling in me. There is no lay down my narrative and say, you know, Lord Jesus, what there is instead is I'll decide what is good and evil. And there's something about that that's shown to us in a metaphorical, spiritual, theological moment in the Garden of Eden that flows all the way through the human story and leaves us with the realization that we always will hold fast so desperately to the 
narratives, the justifications, the pain, the wound, the vanity, uh, these flaws through which we view the world, anything rather than just humbling ourselves and saying, Lord, I don't know. How different could it have been? I don't know. This is just me asking you a question. How different could it have been? If Peter at that moment could have stopped, if all the disciples who are influenced and swayed by Peter, how different could it have been if they all would have stopped and they would have said, Lord, that doesn't feel true to me. But I know this every time I have to choose between my feelings and your word. My feelings are always wrong. That would be a good statement for all of us to make, right? Every time we have to choose between our feelings and God's word, um, we probably should admit that it's God's word that is correct and not our, not our feelings. But here you have, here you see, here you know. It's all happening right here. I would never betray you. Peter, can you just stop? Can you just admit this? I am prone to self-deception. I am prone to over, uh, how shall I say, to exaggerating what I can do. I am prone to misunderstanding how low my lows are. And I want to just stop. I want to just stop. And I just want to say, Lord, you tell me what is good and what is evil. I won't talk back to you. I won't debate you. I will receive your word. This is an introduction to spiritual living. This is an introduction to spiritual living. Peter, you have to see that as long as you're going to argue with God, as long as you're going to reject his truth about you, you have limited spiritual growth opportunity. So you're going to fall. You're going to embarrass yourself. You're going to weep bitterly. But on the other side of that weeping, there is a real spiritual potential for you to stop arguing with God. Stop forcing your truth down God's throat, so to speak, and start humbling yourself and saying, speak to me, Lord Jesus, speak to my heart, lead me according to your spirit, according to your, according to your promise. Uh, so we are seeking after uh, the Lord and I want us to pray together here and um, I want you, wherever you are, to think about making a real prayer of surrender and I'd like to invite you to do that wherever you are. So would you just, just wherever you are at, would you just take a moment and steal the rush of your day? And we're going to pray a prayer together. And I, I, you, you'll hear the theme of it as I lead, but I want to encourage you to follow my lead. Uh, you don't have to repeat my words. You can follow in the themes, but let's, let's pray right now in Jesus name. Lord, we are praying for your help. We are praying for your strength. We are praying for your blessing. It's so easy for us to get these things wrong. It's so easy for us to make a mistake of uh, our lives and to live in the deception of our own life, oh God. 
But I'm praying that you would lead us. I'm praying that you would guide us by your spirit. I'm praying you would direct us. We apologize for grasping so tightly to our version of an answer. And we repent of it today. We submit ourselves to you. And we ask that you would lead us by your spirit and by your power. We confess our error. And we ask for the blessing of your spirit above everything else in our life. We ask for the anointing, the power, the blessings of God to minister, to guide. Oh, Lord Jesus, I thank you for what you're doing. to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us. Thank you.